All right, good evening, everyone. I trust everyone is doing well. Um, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to do a little bit of review because the last time we were going through the question and answer and we were talking about, uh, we had finished up the gap and then we had talked about the recreation. Uh, we did not get the chance to finish talking about the sea of glass and the crystal sea. So we're going to be talking about that tonight. And, um, and we'll see how long it takes us to get through this content, but I'm hoping to open it up towards the end where we can actually have some questions because we've been filling everything up. So that way, if you've got any questions to follow up after uh, the things that we've already talked about, then that would be the time to be able to do that. So Matt, if you could have a handheld ready to go just in case for later, that would be, that would be awesome. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to do a little bit of review before we get into the Sea of Glass and see what the Bible has to say about that and uh, just navigate where the Lord takes us tonight. Father, thank you for your continued faithfulness to us. Um, we can only have confidence because of who you are. You are steadfast and you are sure. And your character is so sound. Um, the Word of God says that you do not change. And that's because you're holy. And I'm so thankful that we have a rock um, such as you that we can lean on uh, that is very gracious and compassionate, but yet very just and, uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would um, just have the desire tonight to draw near to you and to really get to know you better. Uh, some of these things that we have had questions about, the reason why they're questions is just because we want to understand. And, and it's always my intent, and I, and I pray that it would be ours as well, that we never want to uh, puff up our minds with knowledge that these things need to sink down deep into our ears, into our heart and really affect the way that we live. Otherwise, this information is useless. And so I pray tonight that it would just be another time where we can draw near to your heart, hear your heartbeat, get to know you better, um, and really appreciate you and, and even honor you more and, and really stand in a healthy fear of you as well. So God, give us wisdom, give us clarity. We do love you, we thank you, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, another, another big thing that's happening today is that um, today is uh, Megan and I's 15th wedding anniversary. And so we figured, what a better way to celebrate than to come and preach and teach the Bible and talk about the sea of glass. So that's what we're doing tonight. Um, but uh, so we were, we were joking about that earlier today as, as today has been a bit, of a, a bit of a day just with our kids and different things that are going on. But it's so good to be here. It's so good to be with you all and to open up the Bible together. And to look into some of these things that are just really part of the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, let's do a little bit of review. Okay, so we've been talking about the pre-Adamic world and the world that, that existed before. God recreated everything in the six days of creation. And we took a look, a deep dive into Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And then that led us into the gap and talking about what that gap is. And that's that period of time. It's unspecified, but that period of time where Lucifer was given a kingdom and then iniquity was found in him and then he fell and his kingdom was judged and the entire universe was now full of water. And that's where you have Genesis 1-2 and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and then God said, let there be light. And it begins the six days of creation, six days of recreation from that perspective. And so I want to talk a little bit about the recreation again and kind of work through it because this really sets up the division of the heavens and how God created what we know in the scriptures is called the sea of glass. And so just really quickly, you have the way the earth was prior. 
where God said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And it talks in Ezekiel 28 where Lucifer went up and down in the midst of, stone, of the stones of fire. And there were three times a year that the angelic host would appear themselves before God. But Lucifer as that anointed cherub, because there are five cherubs in the Bible, four at the corners of God's throne after Lucifer's fall. Lucifer was the anointed. He was the number one. He covered the throne of God. And as a result, he would lead the worship of God and he made God look spectacular. He made God look good. And that's really one of the things that we've been talking about over the course of the couple of years. The pastor Tom's been mentioning that we are supposed to glorify God and that means to make God look good. And that's what Lucifer did. He made God look good. And he was lifted up with pride because of who he was and who God made him. And he wanted to be more. He was not content to serve God with the way that God made him. And so he wanted to be like the Most High. And we talked about what the Most High meant and how that is the place of God's supreme authority where he oversees and rules of all the affairs of all the kingdoms of the entire world. So when Lucifer fell into sin and God condemned his kingdom, then the entire universe is now full of water. And that's where you have Genesis 1-2, that darkness is upon the face of the deep. So this is what God always intended. God always, always intended to be near to his creation, near to what he has has set in motion to glorify him. And the universe was full of light because in 1 John 1, 5, it says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So whenever you're in the presence of God, it is pure light. And so you have this universe that's full of light, but as a result of Lucifer's rebellion and subsequent judgment of his kingdom, now you have a division. And this is what God never intended. God did not want this to exist, but this is the way things sat in Genesis 1 and verse 2. And similar to how, if any of you have gone uh, diving, I've never gone diving, scuba diving, some people have, but the farther down you go, the darker it gets because light cannot get down that deep. And so that is why darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was water that was stopping the light of God's presence to be able to penetrate through and to get to his creation. And so when God said, let there be light, he was pronouncing something absolutely spectacular. And we talked about how that was a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians as well. It's such an incredible, incredible picture. That was in 2 Corinthians. So as you work through the days of creation and you start to work through on day two, God ends up creating the firmament. And so that's just a space and he called the firmament heaven. It's a space in the midst of the waters and he divided the waters from the waters. And then he gathered those waters together and he called them seas. And so at the very, very top, you have that blue line where you have the throne of God and you have the sea of glass. And of course, it's very deep. In fact, the Bible calls it the deep. And that exists at the very top of the second heaven. And so we spent some time talking about the first heaven being the atmosphere of the earth. The second heaven being the heaven where God places the sun, moon and the stars. And then the third heaven being where the presence of God is. And this is confirmed throughout Scripture. Uh, when Paul was talking about when he was caught up, he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And so those would be the three heavens. And we talked about Scripture references that really detail each one of those heavens. So now, the way that it sits here in Genesis 1, 14 through 19, this is what we know of today. That everything is focuses on the earth and God started to place these things in the heavens around for times, for seasons, for days, and for years. But now you have the waters that are on the planet and then you have the waters which were above and God called them the seas. And so here is our first point 
that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the fact that the crystal sea, the sea of glass, the face of the deep, it's also called, is the floor of the third heaven on which God's throne and temple sits, and it is in the north. So in Revelation chapter 4, you should already be there, and we're going to start off in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, which we're going to talk about doors here in a little bit. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. This is one perspective of the rapture of the church, where the door is open in heaven. A voice speaks, it sounds like a trumpet, and he calls him up, come up hither. But he's not just calling John, he's calling all of the church, the church saints, up into the presence of God. And in verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and that's Jesus Christ. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. So you have this beautiful green rainbow just surrounding the throne of God. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and, thun and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And those are the other cherubim that surround the throne of God at the four corners. So in verse 6, it talks about this sea of glass and that it is before the throne of God. And that's what we're going to talk about here. That is the face of the deep. Go over to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. Revelation 15, and we're starting from verse 1, focus on verse 2. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses. So here it is again, the sea of glass, and it looks like it's mingled with fire, which in no doubt is in correlation with the wrath of God and how those judgments are poured out upon the earth during the tribulation. But you have this sea of glass where the throne of God sits and also where these saints are actually standing upon the sea of glass at this time. Now, what's really interesting about this too is that there's another passage in Exodus, and I remember reading this on and off, and it was a great cross-reference. So when Moses goes up into the mount and he meets with God, he sees something. So God almost opens up this portal that allows him to walk into the third heaven. And in Exodus 24.10, it says, And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. So when Moses ascended up into the mountain, this is where he got the, the Ten Commandments, and at this point in time, I believe in this, this, uh, this passage, you have the rest of the elders of Israel, and they actually sat down and they ate with God. That they sat down on that sea of glass with the Lord, that paved work of sapphire stone. Now, there, I was looking around, and, and, and just, just for fun, you know, you do some searches on the internet to try to find, is there any sort of accurate representation of the sea of glass? Because 
you read things like this and you're just like, wow, that has got to be amazing. And you can only imagine it in your head. But I found a video, and I'm going to show you this one in a second. And it reminded me that there are things that God communicates and he teaches us through creation. In the book of Job, I was reading this past week, and I've used it a couple times this week, where uh, as Job is dealing with his friends, one of his friends and, and Job, and they're going back and forth, there's a statement that's made, and it says, go to the fish, they will teach you. Go to the trees, and they will speak. And go to the creation, and you'll be able to learn some great and deep things of God. Well, I was, uh, you know, uselessly scrolling on Instagram, which is usually never a good idea, but I came across this great video, an, an incredible video, and I'm like, oh my word, I've got to find a way to download it and show everybody. And so I have this video that I want to show you because I feel like this is probably the closest representation of the sea of glass that we can possibly get. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and turn the, the lights down for the effect, and we'll take a look at this. Good morning. We are at the Bonneville Salt Flats. It is flooded, and I have never seen it like this in my whole life. We've been out here a whole bunch of times, and... The reflection this morning is like crystal clear still and it's like an exact mirror of the sky which is popping off right now. Let me show you. I mean, I saw that and I'm just like, oh my word, like that is absolutely incredible. And that's upon a fallen, flawed earth. Like when you see something like that and you start to see as the body of heaven in its clearness, this paved work of sapphire stone, the sea of glass, the deep, and how it really is that reflection of the sky above it. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. And so that's probably the closest that we can get without actually seeing it with our own eyes, which we will see one day. But it just made me think. It made me think of things like, you know, God's throne and his temple that's in the north, which we're going to talk about in a minute, sits upon this sea of glass. It's the face of the deep. And that's what God sits on. That's where he resides. And so it's nothing for Jesus to walk on the waves of lakes and oceans and, you know what I mean? Like things like that. It's incredible, absolutely incredible. And, uh, and how he has command over all these things. And the other thing that it makes, it makes me think, too, and, I, and I've heard people say this before, and of course, you know, I don't know, and this is part of just an opinion that I might have, but, you know, they always talk about that the universe is, like, massive, and it's ever-expanding. Well, if that is the way that it is, and the sea of glass is like that, and it's a reflection, is it possible that they're actually looking at the reflection of the sea of glass above? Because they really don't know. They've never been there, you know? So it's just fascinating to me. I don't know. I have no idea. There's no way to really prove that, but... It is the face of the deep, and it's called the sea of glass, and so it probably refracts light just the same. It's quite interesting. So that's really, really neat. And so this thing exists in the north, in the north. And so I've got some verses that we're going to look up, and then I've got some other ones that we're going to turn to. So we're going to look at the ones on the screen first. In Isaiah, um, and this should actually be uh, 14, 
uh, not Isaiah 1, but Isaiah 14, verse 13, where it talks about Lucifer and his fall. It says, For thou hast said in thine heart, this is what Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. When you look up the north in Scripture, it always goes to where God dwells, and especially the seat of his authority. In Ezekiel 1, verse 4, it says, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber, and out of the midst of the fire, and it's the, really it's the throne of God. And it came out of the north when he saw this particular vision. Turn with me to Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26. Job is a fascinating book. It's the oldest book in your Bible. And in Job 26, there's some interesting statements that are made there. When talking about God, and Job is declaring, and it says in verse 7, Job 26 and verse 7, and it's talking about the creation of all things. And I believe this is specifically talking about um, Genesis 1 and then moving into Genesis 1-2. But it says in verse 7, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. These verses are specifically talking about when he divided the waters from the waters and he's hiding the face of his throne from the rest of creation and it is bound by these waters. These waters actually divide his throne from the rest of the heaven, that second heaven. And go ahead and turn over to chapter 37. Job chapter 37. Verse 9 and 10. It says, Out of the south cometh the whirlwind, and a cold out of the north. By the breath of God frost is given, and the breadth of the waters is straightened. So this sea of glass is glass because it is frozen. The face of the deep is frozen. And it says that over in chapter 38, Job 38, take a look at verse 30. Job 38, verse 30. The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. So this is just really neat to me, and, and I, I pictured it, like I was thinking about this earlier today, why did God say the waters are hid as with a stone? You know, there's a lot of things when it comes to things hidden with stones. And, you know, my, my son is an avid explorer. He loves to pick up stones. And when he lifts up stones, what do you think he finds? All sorts of critters, like all sorts of stuff. And so from God's perspective, he's hiding the face of his throne from the rest of creation, and it's like a stone has been laid over it. That frozen deep is like a stone that covers where God's throne is, and if God were to remove it, we'd find a whole bunch of stuff. It's really neat how God describes things like that. That's why I love the Word of God. It really gives us some great insight when we compare Scripture with Scripture. And so it is in the north. A couple other verses that I had on your guys' study sheet that we won't look up, uh, but it talks about that God's throne is in the north. 
and his temple is there too. In Revelation 16, 17, I'll just read this verse. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And in Exodus 25, 9, verse 40, it says, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and after the pattern of all the instruments thereof, shall you make it. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. When Moses went up into the mount, and he actually stood upon the sea of glass, Moses saw the temple that is in heaven right now upon the sea of glass. And so that is where it is located. And the other thing that's really neat to me, um, any of you have ever looked, up, looked up this up, this is really neat. But when you look up the North Star, Polaris, you know, it's, 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 it's just strange to me that if you were to set up a camera and you were just to let it run, open the aperture and you just let it run, what would you find if you're recording any sort of video or taking a picture? You would open that thing up and you would see that the whole body of heaven is circling around one point. And there are some fascinating pictures, but all the stars move in just this perfect circle around this one point, and that is the North Star. And is it just a coincidence that when it comes to true north, of course there's a difference between true north and magnetic north, but true north, if you were to find it, you just find Polaris and you lead that to the ground and that is north. You can always find north if you know where Polaris is at. Well, that star, is it a star? I mean, is it? Is it truly a star? Or is God, as he does with creation, pointing everything back to him and saying, hey, I'm here. Because I believe, my opinion, is that that's actually the door, the window, to heaven. And so if you were to take a rocket and be able to travel that far with that much fuel, and you were to go all the way towards Polaris, you would find that's not actually a star. That's actually the window that goes directly into the third heaven. And so that leads directly into our next point. There are openings that give access through the deep, the sea of glass, and the Bible talks about these things, and it's called a door, it's called a gate, it's called windows, the windows of heaven, and Jesus even refers to it as a lattice, which is quite fascinating. So let's go to, uh, we've already read Revelation 4, uh, but let's go ahead and turn there anyway. Go to Revelation chapter 4, we'll read it again. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee, the, show thee things which must be hereafter. So there is an actual door. We believe what the Word of God says. There is a door that's he in heaven. And when that door is open, and God speaks and says, Come up hither. It's in the north, the door's open, come up hither. John then goes through that door, and then he sees the throne of God. So, you might sound crazy, but that's exactly what it says. That is the door that is opened in heaven. And in Psalm 78, 23, I got this one on the screen. It says, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven. So there's actually more than one. There's this main one, but then there are more than that that exist. Turn with me over to John chapter 10. There's a little nugget in John chapter 10 that's quite neat. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And verse 3 and verse 4 is what we're going to focus on, but we'll hit the context a little bit. Jesus is speaking. In John 10 verse 1, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door 
into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, to the shepherd, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. What is that? That's the rapture of the church. So right there in verse 3, you have Jesus that's in the third heaven. He goes to the door, and there's a guy that's there, and he's called the porter. And he says, all right, open it up. And then he opens it up, and then he calls his sheep out by name, and he leads them out. That's just, whew. Stuff like that gives me goosebumps all the time. It's really neat. So there you have that one. Then look at verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That's the second coming. If you compare that with the events of Revelation chapter 19, you have the rapture of the church in verse 3, and then after his sheep are with him, he goes before them, and they follow him because they know his voice, and that's the, and that's the second coming. So right there, tucked in between John, John chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, you have the rapture and the second coming right there between those two, those two verses. That's really neat. That's just so cool. I love that. So that's really neat. And then in Genesis 28, verse 17, I got this one up on the screen. You have uh, Jacob speaking here, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And that's actually where the temple of God will be built and this is the gate of heaven. While he was sleeping upon that rock, he saw the ladder, Jacob's ladder. And he said, that is the gate of heaven. That's that main door that goes. That's what he's talking about. In Genesis 7:11, talking about these windows again, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month and 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Prior to this, and this is still something I'm trying to get my head around, but I believe the word of God. Prior to this, it had never rained upon the earth before. And so now you have water falling from the sky. Now, water comes from two different places with the great flood. The first one is the fountains of the great deep. They have proven by taking some explorations along the ocean floor that there are these massive caverns that existed that were full of water. And at one point in time in history, they all erupted, and now they are collapsed caverns. And so inside these caverns, all over the ocean floor, they are now collapsed. There were pockets of water that existed. And something happened that caused those caverns to collapse and shoot that water out of the ocean into the sky. Which is exactly how God describes it, about the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened. Now, does that mean the water actually came from the deep onto the planet? Maybe. I have no idea. But all I know is you compare Scripture with Scripture, that the deep has windows and it has doors and God said that the windows of heaven were opened and at this point it had never rained upon the earth yet. So that's quite, that's quite interesting. Something to think about. And then another little nugget out of the Song of Solomon. You have them going back and forth and they're talking about their relationship and, and here it says, My beloved, talking about Christ, is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. So I picture, just even based on this verse, that Jesus cannot wait to come back because he wants you to physically be with him. And I could just see him walking past that door, just waiting. Just, I mean, every once in a while, just coming through and he's seeing what's going on 
and he wants to come back, and he can't wait for the father to say, all right, son, it's time. The Bible's amazing. The Bible's absolutely amazing. So there are openings in the deep. It's a door, the gate, windows, and also the lattice out of Song of Solomon. And then lastly, what I want to spend some time talking about is talking about letter E, and that is at the great white throne judgment, God will destroy the world that is now by fire, remove the sea of glass, and recreate a new heaven and earth to restore everything as it was prior to the fall of Lucifer and his kingdom. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to go to 2 Peter 3, hit a couple places in Revelation, and then we'll take a few questions. 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's start off in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, having their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, that's talking about under the reign of Lucifer, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And that's how we know it's talking about that time, because when God flooded during Noah's day, he flooded the entire earth. The earth was not standing in the water and out of the water, it was completely submerged in water. So this is a completely different event. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was, being overfull with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, those are the ones that exist right now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And I'm telling you, what it says here that's going to happen, and Hebrews talks about this, Hebrews chapter 1 says, all things are upheld by the word of his power. When the day comes where Jesus Christ stops upholding all things by the word of his power, everything at the atomic level will be completely split. And when that happens, the entire, everything that we know is as, as just reality when it comes to the universe, First heaven, second heaven, everything is going to just completely be on fire. The heavens are going to be on fire. And when this occurs, you have the great white throne judgment. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Thinking about 2 Peter chapter 3, keeping that in mind, let's see what, how God describes this in Revelation chapter 20. So when does this fire actually begin? Because there's something that sets off a reaction that sets the whole of creation on fire. And so the context is, after Revelation 19, Jesus comes back and he sets up his kingdom. He takes over all the nations of the earth by force. He takes the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and he throws them into the lake of fire. And after that happens, he sets up his kingdom. 
And in the process of setting up his kingdom, there's an angel that takes the devil and chains him and puts him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. So for 1,000 years, the devil has no influence on this planet whatsoever. And as he does that, Jesus sets up his reign as the king, and he sets up his millennial reign from the throne in Jerusalem. And then you have all these things start to unfold. And so at the end of the thousand years, it says here in verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. And so here's an interesting thought. So for 1,000 years, 1,000 years, Satan is now locked up in the bottomless pit. He has no influence on any of the affairs of the planet. After 1,000 years is done, and Satan is then loosed, he goes out throughout the whole earth, and he's able to amass a rebellion in a short amount of time to go against Jesus Christ. So there's so many lessons to learn from this, but number one is we are the problem. Sin is the problem. So many people blame the devil, and rightfully so. I mean, he's the originator of sin. He's the father of lies. He's the first one that committed murder, all that. But the reality is, is that all of us are sinners and that we are sinners at our core. When this is existing during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a lot of things happening, but there will be people procreating at this time. And you find out that the people that procreate are people that survive the tribulation period and the nation of Israel that survives, and they don't have the new bodies because the only people that have glorified bodies are people that are part of the church. And so these people are going to be allowed into the millennial kingdom and they are going to marry, be given in marriage, and they're going to have children, and then their children are going to have children, and all these things are going to start happening until the planet is full again. Because when you go through and you start to study how many people actually died during the tribulation, it's quite a bit. And so now you have their children, and they should be taught the word of God, and they have Jesus that they see with their own eyes sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning with righteousness and justice, and all things are being done well. And as soon as Satan is loosed, he goes throughout the entire planet and he amasses this rebellion where it says in verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints ab uh, about. And this, this is such a huge number. In fact, it says at the end of verse 8, The number of whom is as the sand of the sea, which means you can't even put a number on the number of people that are now coming up in rebellion against Jesus Christ, who they can see physically. And so once this happens... Now the chain reaction starts. So the second half of verse 9 that I didn't read. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, Jesus Christ, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So when the devil ends up amassing this huge rebellion, they come up to Jerusalem, and they are going to fight against Christ. He then calls fire down from heaven, and he wipes it clean, but it doesn't stop there. This is what begins that 2 Peter chapter 3 chain of events where everything is now going to be set on fire. It began in Jerusalem with this rebellion and it spread throughout the entire universe to the point where now you have the great white throne judgment and there's no place for the earth or heaven. It's completely fled away. And so this is another scary thought and I, and I think about this and it helps me in my heart. 
When this day comes, and it is the final judgment, where the dead, small and great, stand before God, there is no place for them to hide. No place for them to hide. Like at least now, in a sense, people that have not accepted Christ as their Savior, they do not have the righteousness of God, they are currently in hell, awaiting their final judgment. At least now they have a place to hide. But there's coming a day where that will no longer be the place for them to hide. And then they will have to stand before their Creator and give an account for the works of their life and why they did not choose to receive the righteousness of God. So there's no place for them to hide whatsoever, and now you have the final judgment. And as you work down through this, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. That's an interesting one, because haven't we been talking about the sea of glass? So is it possible that not only, we know that there are creatures in the sea on our planet. We do know that. The Bible talks about in Revelation that there are actually angels that are chained in rivers that are going to be let out during the tribulation period. So there's things that are in the sea, but are there things in the sea that are actually trapped up there awaiting their final judgment? It's quite interesting. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Hell and the lake of fire are two totally separate things. Because death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So after all these things take place and God wipes everything clean, he destroys everything by fire, you have the final judgment. And now in chapter 21 it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now there's nothing any longer separating God and his throne and his presence from the rest of creation. Everything is now restored back to the way that it was always meant to be. And it all started with Lucifer and his rebellion. And that's why it also says that there's going to be no night there. Look over in, um, let's see here, verse 22, I believe it is. Yes, 22. And I saw... No temple therein, so even the temple's gone. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Take a look at chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. So the tree of life comes back at this point, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So everything is now restored back to the way it was before, where you now you have an entire universe now full of light. God and his throne is not separated by the deep any longer, as we see it today when we look up in the night sky. That will no longer be the case. Everything will be completely full of light. So a lot of little neat things. So that's the sea of glass. That's talking about the doors uh, and talking about the windows, talking about the lattice. 
and talking about the day that God will remove the sea of glass once and for all and restore it back to the way it was before. A lot to chew on. But these are things that I'm just super fascinated with. Okay, so we've got some time for questions. We've got about 15 minutes, and hopefully you have questions. If not, we're going to be ending early and doing prayer meeting. But are there any questions at all, at all, about anything? Yes, we've got Linda over there. I'll grab a couple of the microphones. <laughs> oh, we need the microphone. Let it come. <laughs> all right, Matt, you can get that side. I'll get this side. Oh, come on. <laughs> they want to hear you. What's your question? You had said about the door, the North Star yeah. in heaven. Um, this, if I must say it right, the seraphim okay. are guarding. Yeah, the cherubim. The yes. Cherubim guarding, yep. I can, are they, where are they? Or are they still there? Yeah, it's good. So the cherubim are always around the throne of God. So whenever you see the throne of God show up, you have the four beasts that have the four different faces. And Ezekiel gives an incredible description of it because in chapter 1 it talks about that throne and it's actually moving. And wherever it moves, those beasts move with it. And so it always is surrounding the throne anywhere where the throne of God is. And so when we get there, especially Revelation chapter 4, and you know, we're called, come up hither, and we see the throne, we're going to see those four beasts around that throne and they are always there, consistently there. Yep. Good? Okay. Yeah. Carson. So with the, the cherubim around the throne and like Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covereth, yeah. would there be at some point in the future, would there be a new anointed cherub that would cover in place of Lucifer? Yeah, that's a good question. All right, so I've, I've thought about this one quite a bit. So whenever you study out the anointed cherub and it's the anointed one, um, that's actually the Messiah. It's a similar title. And so what I've been able to piece together so far is that originally the way that it was at the very beginning is that Lucifer fulfilled a role because he was the king of God's creation at that point in time. And he was that Messiah. He was the anointed one. And then when he fell into sin and then his whole kingdom was just completely, you know, wrecked. Then what do you see next? You see Adam. And you see Adam and he was given dominion and he was given kingship. And so he was the one that was supposed to procreate and create an entire race of people that loved and worshipped and honored God for basically all of eternity with no death. And then when he fell into sin, then the curse, which we're going to talk about next Wednesday, it says from the seed of the woman is going to come one who's going to bruise the head of the serpent. And that's talking about Jesus Christ. And he's referred to in the New Testament as the second Adam. And he's the Messiah. And so in typical God fashion, because he always does things in threes, you have the first one, Lucifer, second one, Adam, and then the third one, Jesus, as the Messiah who rules and reigns and actually ends up taking that place. Because now, if you think about it in this term, and people don't really think about it this way, but when, when Jesus Christ humbled himself and he became man, he's always going to be a man. He's always going to be 100% man and 100% God at the same time. And so him taking that role on and becoming made like unto us, becoming that second Adam, he took on the responsibility of being the Messiah for all eternity. And he will never fail God as Lucifer did and as Adam did. And now he won't. So it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Okay. What else? Matt's got you right there. A couple questions. So 
um, when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, then God placed cherubim at the entry of yes. Eden. Yes. So when when the uh, uh, redeveloped earth gets destroyed, mm -hmm. he must call those cherubim up. Yeah, it's quite possible. Or he dispatched a couple of them from his throne to go and guard the tree until he did whatever he did with the tree. And, there's, and we have no idea. Like That's one of those questions I have for God where I'm like, so tell me about that. Because <laughs> you don't really give any details about it. All you see is the tree of life existed there in the garden. And then you see it show up in Revelation 22. And it's for the healing of the nations. And there was something that God did where he said very specifically that he wanted to guard and protect it lest they take of it and they live forever. So in their sinful state, if they would have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life, things would not have been right. And so he dispatched two, which if you think about it, I mean, that was a pretty serious deal for him to dispatch two out of the four to go and guard yeah. that tree of life. And so that way they wouldn't partake of it. But then later, then people are permitted and it's actually for the healing of the nation. So it takes away something that's in them that allows them to continue living into this new heaven and new earth that God has created. But as far as, did he take it? I have no idea. All we know is that later on we see there's four, again, around the throne, but we have no idea what happened to the tree. Did he just take the tree up to the third heaven and it's sitting there waiting for him to recreate everything and then plant it again? Probably. But we have no idea where and when and how he did it. Okay. Uh, second question. Yeah. So... Uh, the fallen angels uh, that were put in Tartarus. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where Tartarus really is. Yeah. Uh, when I looked at Larkin's diagrams, it showed as separate from hell mm -hmm. and Adam's bosom, or yeah. uh, Abraham's bosom. Okay. Um, so in Revelation 20, mm -hmm. when death and hell are put into the lake of fire, I'm assuming those angels that are in Tartarus are going there too. Yeah, for sure. And they're also going to be judged by us because Paul talks about how that, know you not that we shall judge angels. And so God is going to, and that's, that's another amazing thing, God is going to place their judgment in our lap for what they did in rebellion against God and they saw him and they still rebelled. And so, they're, and, and, and what's interesting about that is that there's only some there's only some of the angels that rebelled that are then kept in chains, and there are others that continue their sinful practices later on. Um, and so it's interesting to try to figure out, okay, why are they there, and yet there are still other fallen sons of God, other fallen creatures that follow the devil, and they're not, they're not in prison yet, they're not in chains, but these ones are. And so my thought on that has always been, is that that, that creation, something happened prior, that those are the ones that have been reserved, they could also be the Genesis 6 ones that procreated because they got that whole idea from Lucifer to begin with. And so it could be that group of the sons of God that fell, but not all of them actually participated in that particular practice. But when he completely wiped the earth, filling it with water with Noah's flood, then those ones were reserved in chains in the bottomless pit. And so he separates them out, Larkin does. I don't think that they're separate because whenever you see from like Luke 16 and you talk about Abraham's bosom, the way that it's described is that you have hell and you have Abraham's bosom where the Old Testament saints resided until Jesus Christ died and resurrected and then he led captivity captive and then led them up to the third heaven. But then there's that great gulf that's fixed. And so that great gulf, I believe, is the place where it has 
Uh, the Revelation talks about that bottomless pit, that there's a key to it, which means there's a gate that's over the bottomless pit, and that, that is the place where those angels are kept, and that's the place where Satan himself is also going to be bound and kept for a thousand years as well. So, but I've never saw it as a separate place, but I might be wrong. Yeah, because it kind of matches yeah. up with uh, uh, Revelation 20, the last yeah, verse. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Thanks. You got two. You get Angie first. She beat her to the punch. <laughs> um, this isn't a question as much as it is a comment. We just know with um, Satan always has a, con count a counterfeit. Yes. So I was just thinking of CERN. I looked into that a little bit. Just oh, yeah. with the portals and the openings and the God particle yeah. and wow, the dark matter quest. And so I, I don't know, when I was reading through this, I was just thinking in my mind, I was like, boy, Satan always has a counterfeit. He does. You know, if you look into CERN, yes. <laughs> be prayerful when you do it. It's very, it's very dark, very dark, very dark, very, but just the portals. I think yep. about, you know, just the new age and oh, yeah. um, all that. So it's just a comment. No, that's just good. CERN. And a lot of that goes back to the Tower of Babel. Because uh, when you start to go through in the Tower of Babel, the way that God words everything in Genesis 11 you know, the, what is the purpose of that tower? And it says, whose top may reach unto heaven. And so they had the ability and the knowledge and the technology to create something that could take people from this planet to the third heaven without God. And that would have fit right in with Lucifer where I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. If he had the ability to do that and bypass those doors, those gates, those windows on his own, then he would have certainly been able to do it. And it also talks about how he has ships that are actually in the sea. That's another little nugget found in the Psalms that's really, really fascinating. So, oh yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of rabbit trails that you will get lost if you fall down those holes. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we were just talking about hell and Abraham's bosom and how in the one, I forget where it is, but when he's talking, looking at his friend in yes. hell and he's like just wanting like a drip of water. Right. So, I guess my question is, okay, so they're in, like, that fiery place now, like, in hell. Yeah. And they get cast into the lake of fire. Yes. Are they still, like, coherent and present like they are in hell? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. That's another thing that helps me, um, helps me to think about people differently. Um, you know, whenever I hear of people dying, um... And, I, and there's a very good chance that they did not know the Lord. And I think about where they are. And I think about the finality of where they are and what's to come. Um, it just breaks my heart. And I think about um, how Matthew 25, 41 talks about the hell was never intended for humans. It was for the devil and his angels. That's what it always was intended for. And so now you have human beings that are there for a period of time. And they're being tortured there. And rightfully so, because of their sin, because that's what we all deserve. And then, at the very end, after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, when everything is set on fire, it's their only moment of relief. Where there's no place to hide, necessarily, but now this is their only moment of relief, where now they're standing before God. And they're waiting for their judgment. And then whosoever is not found written in the book of life was then cast into the lake of fire, which is going to be far worse than what hell actually is. And knowing that that is what is coming for them, it, it, should, it should change us and it should burden us to have more purposeful care for people. Um, 
It should allow us to have a capacity to be compassionate um, in this very supernatural way because we know that uh, they have a need that needs to be fulfilled, but if they, if they don't choose the Lord, that that's, what's, that's what's waiting for them. And so whenever you get frustrated with people, you just need to remember things like that. And it will help you in your heart greatly. And it will help you to have proper discernment, I think, in times where you get super emotional and you just want to rip into people. Denny. Matt's coming. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but just like Warren was talking about the rich man in hell. Yeah. And it talks about he lifted up his eyes. Yes. And he asked, you know, Abraham to send somebody with water. Yes. Drop of water to cool his tongue. So yes. he had eyes, a tongue. Yes. All the body features, everything. Yeah. Is at the great white throne judgment, are they going to have bodies? Or I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it, a great question. Um, you know, there's some people that, well, yes, they will have to have some sort of a physical body for sure. And, um, and, and it's a matter of what that actually is and what that all entails that I'm not 100%. The best place that I go to has always been 1 Corinthians 15 when it talks about at the resurrection that every, everything is going to have its own body. And so it talks about bodies terrestrial, earthy, bodies heavenly, and that's where we've go, we go to and we talk about how we're going to have celestial bodies one day, that glorified body, and that's where Paul really talks about it. But everything has, has, a, has a body of sorts. Because even when Israel is resurrected from the dead um, and they are participating in the millennial kingdom, uh, they have a resurrected body. And the closest to that one has been like Lazarus, where... You know, he had a resurrected body. It wasn't a glorified body. It was a resurrected body. And, um, and the biggest difference between those two is that those that have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God are the ones that have the glorified body. Now, if those that are resurrected, they have God's righteousness, Old Testament saints, and those that are sealed by the Holy Spirit have glorified bodies, those that do not have the righteousness of God will... It's most certainly have to have some kind of body, but what is that actually? I have no, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, that's where some people put theories out there that there's some passages talk about that their body will be of worms. And, you know, is God going to give them a different kind of a body like that? I have no clue. I have no clue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, could be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that they will have some sort of resemblance that we'll know who they, that they are. I mean, my, my opinion has always been that, um, you know, it's not until after that judgment takes place that God wipes away the tears from their eyes. And so I think that there is going to be an element where we are going to be in the audience witnessing the judgment. And there is going to be people that we know, um, people that maybe we should have talked to, that we didn't. And um, I think there's going to be some serious tears that day. And I think that God will too. Um, you know, because this was never what God wanted at all across the board, from Lucifer all the way down. And I, that's not what he wanted. But as a result, then it's going to be a great day of weeping.
for sure. Yeah, for sure. Good, good question. All right, what else we got? <laughs> All right, Megan, you got yours? No? Oh, you're pointing at Carson again? No, I thought it came over here. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, there, I, I don't, this may be a very answerable question, I just don't know. I'll let you know in a minute. <laughs> um, there, is there no difference between the, the group of people that is in hell or will be in hell and the group of people who are going to the lake of fire? Like, would the, it says it's whosoever was not found in the book of life is right. cast in the lake of fire. Right. So is everyone that's in hell not in the book of life? Right. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there wouldn't be a way for someone to be in hell and then be written in the book of life thereafter. So when you study out the Book of Life, which is an interesting one, I think we did that one last year, um, you find out that the Book of Life is, is the book of God that he wrote that contains, um, uh, you know, we always think of it as, as humans, but I think it's actually more than that. I think that there are creatures that God has created that he has put in there, and they're written there by their DNA. Um, and so uh, every, every single creature that's in that Book of Life, whosoever, whoever it is, is written in that book, that if they end up dying without the righteousness of God, then they are blotted out. Because Moses talks about with the nation of Israel, where he says very, very directly to God, he says, if, if you are willing to take me, like God wanted to destroy the nation of Israel, and Moses is like, hold on a second. No, take me. Blot me out of thy book. And so that's one of the core passages that shows you that every person that's alive has been written into that book. And then if they die without the righteousness of God, that they are then blotted out. And so there will be people at the final judgment that will stand before God, that their names will be in there, and then as a result, they'll be permitted into eternity future. But those are the people that, um, like for example, the church's judgment, I mean, that, first of all, we were, our sin was judged at the cross. So that's, that's our judgment. But then our other judgment is the stewardship of us being born-again believers, the life that Christ has given you, that you'll give an account for your Christian life. And so by the time we get through that, which takes place shortly after the rapture, you know, you start to get into the tribulation, our judgments are over. Like, we don't have to worry about our judgment of sin. We don't have to worry about the judgment of rewards that's been done, and we have those crowns we can cast back at the feet of Christ, and he's going to say, hey, I'm going to give you responsibility over these ten cities and all that stuff, and there's several parables that line up with that. And so after that's done, now our judgment is over, but everyone has a judgment. Every creature that God has created out of all of existence has a judgment somewhere. The nation of Israel is being judged during the tribulation period, but they were also going to be partially judged even during the millennial kingdom because of their lineage that takes place thereafter. And so um, there will be people that will stand at the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment, and they are going to be waiting to see if their name is actually in that book. And there will be people where, yes, your name is found, and you're permitted, and your name is not found, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. Okay. One more? Oh, you got a follow-up? i got to start charging you money. All right, Carson. This will close it out. Um, so with, like, the nation of Israel, yeah. where, like, they go through the, the tribulation and all that, are those still, like, biologically human like we are throughout that whole time, throughout the millennial reign and all that, and in like eternity future in the city, I don't remember, but mm -hmm. are they all still going to be biologically human or are they going to be glorified bodies like we, the church age saints? Yeah, they're going to be biologically human. 
Um, so, um, I mean, technically, those that have glorified bodies are also human as well. I will say that, but they're, they're different because their body is not going to be flesh and blood. Um, that's what keeps us contained to the earth. Like, we're not going anywhere. There's all these plans about going to Mars and all these other... No, no, we're not going anywhere. We were made for this planet. We're going to live here. We're going to die here. That's all there is to it because we were made of flesh and blood. But the glorified body is not flesh and blood. It's flesh, but there's no blood because Jesus was able to ascend straight up out of the atmosphere into the second heaven all the way up to the, the door, knocks on the door with the porter. You're like, who is it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> who is it? Oh, it's Jesus. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny if that actually happened? Um, but anyway, <laughs> but then he also had the ability to, you know, he was able to, to vanish in front of their eyes. He was able to pass through walls. He was able to do all those things that our physical bodies can't do. So we know they're going to be different. It's still going to be human, um, but it's going to be built completely different. Um, and as far as Israel is concerned, the resurrected body, like I mentioned, is like Lazarus, where it will be like a human, human body that we'll be able to procreate. Um, and, uh, and it talks about that, too, in the future, that the, the future Israel. Now, those that are alive and remain after the tribulation period, that God uses them to begin to establish the physical kingdom of Israel, and they definitely procreate from there. As far as the, the Israelites that are resurrected, when you go to Ezekiel and you go to the Valley of Dry Bones, and you start to read through and you start to see that their, their bodies of flesh and sinews and everything are made up and they're resurrected again. And that's talking about the whole nation of Israel uh, being resurrected to partake in the, the millennial kingdom. Um, so I tend to believe that they're going to be human and have the ability to procreate and continue uh, to increase. Uh, I definitely those that make it through the tribulation and survive it, without a doubt, yes, for sure. Because there's also going to be Gentiles that looked after the nation of Israel and other Jewish people during that time, similar to World War II, where there were Gentiles that were actually caring for the Jews that were being killed by the Nazis. It's going to be the same thing that happens during the tribulation period, that there's Gentile nations and Gentiles that will be permitted into the millennial kingdom. And they had no idea. They had no idea that they were doing what was necessary in the sight of God to be permitted into that kingdom. So you're going to have Jews that survive, Gentiles that survive in their fleshly bodies that are going to be permitted into the millennial kingdom, and they will have the ability to procreate. And that's where this multitude is the sand of the sea shows up at the end of Revelation 20 that Satan uses to amass the final rebellion. Okay. All right, lots of stuff. Okay, so if you have questions later on, because um, maybe you're not someone that thinks of questions like right now, um, feel free to contact me or email me. And uh, we can talk about these things. Um, there's some interesting, interesting things. The Word of God is sufficient. It really has everything that we need for life and godliness. And, and if you compare Scripture with Scripture, God tells you all these things, and they're pretty, pretty clear. And I love the Bible. I love the Bible. The more I get into it, the more I realize that there's so much I don't know. And there's so many other things that God begins to teach. Um, so it's really neat. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll move into our prayer meeting. Father, thank you. For our time together tonight, I pray that we would uh, definitely stand in awe of you and um, that we would study to show ourselves approved and, and that we would be able to have an answer to any man that asks us, ask us of the, the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. Um, and Lord, that we would above all just honor and glorify you and to make you look good. Uh, so God, help us to take these things, apply them to our life, and really have more of a burden for this world and to see the lost saved, and to see those that are saved grow and mature in their walk with you so they can reach others for your name's sake and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.